in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good morning, church. Isn't it a, a powerful blessing to be able to, to see faces and hear voices from our own Southern Hills Church family as they speak the word of God to us? More than that, as they speak the word of God over us. You know, for me, it's such a, a great reminder of the fact that, that in our lives, God so often speaks to us directly through the voices of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, which is why for the last month, we have as a church family, we've been trying our best to listen to the voice of our older brother in the faith, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to, to the church, trying to explore, trying to explain his understanding of our calling to live lives that are truly worthy of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? What does it mean for us to be those kinds of disciples? What does it mean for us to be those kinds of Christians? And at the beginning of our worship time together this morning, we, we listened to Avery as she read God's word to us, as she read God's word over us, uh, the, the beginning of the second chapter of Philippians, verses one through five. And in it, we find Paul shifting from those kind of introductory matters to the heart of the matter. He moves past just reconnecting with the church and trying to connect the church to what it is he feels like God has called him uh, to, to share with them. And one of the things that you can kind of tell as you read through the lines in Philippians is this church is really struggling to know how they're going to hold on to one another when they don't always see eye to eye. And so Paul says, okay, well, there's two things really that you've got to learn how to share if you're going to maintain and honor the, the, the life that God wants you to live and share together. The first thing that you need to share if you're going to share life is you need to share your, your minds with one another. You need to share your thoughts. You, you need to feel free to, to talk about the ideas, the inspiration that you feel like God has given you when it comes to thinking about being a group of disciples where, where you have the courage and the insight of, of how to go to the, the most broken people and places in our world. You need to share your minds, but you need to share more than that. Paul says you need to share your heart. Now, it's not just our heart. It's, it's somehow our heart's tapping into the heart of God so that we're not just sharing our love with one another, Paul says, but we're sharing God's love, God's unifying love that empowers us to stay together in one family of faith while openly acknowledging that we will not always say, see things the same exact way. You know, we, we know that from our own life experience, that, that if we're going to open up our minds to one another, if we're going to share our thoughts with one another, there's going to be times we disagree. And Paul says you can't have unity by ma maintaining uniformity of thought. That's not how Christian unity works. It's not something we build. It's something we recognize. It's something we acknowledge. It's a gift from God to us. We either receive that gift of unity or we resist it. 
And so Paul says, look, you want to find a way to partner with the Spirit of God to honor and protect that unity that Jesus died to give you. And then he gives some really direct steps of how to maintain and honor that unity because he knows, Paul knows, there's a difference between talking about how important unity is and then actually figuring out how to live unity in our everyday lives together. And so he says, look, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to focus on the, the things that drive you, the motivations that you have. And if you find out in your heart that what's driving you to do something is selfish ambition or vain conceit, even if it seems like a good thing to do, if you're doing it for that reason, stop. And then he says, look, you, you've got to find a way to freely embrace humility in relationship with one another. He's not talking about anyone forcing humility on anybody. He's talking about the fact that we need to be men and women of faith who freely choose humility for the sake of other people. And then he says, what does that look like? Well, it looks like you finding a way to see other people, to see their needs, and to value them over yourself. Now, at that point, you know, as you're listening to what Paul's talking about here in this, this opening section of, of his second chapter of Philippians, you think, okay, I've, I've got all that, and it's more than enough for me to work on. It's more than enough for us to focus on. Um, once we get that handled, Paul, we'll come back to you, and then you can tell us, you know, what's the next step. But he just keeps going. And he goes beyond talking about us recognizing other people, their needs, and he says, you know what, in fact, if you really want to honor and maintain this community, this unity that Jesus died to give you, well, you have to go beyond just trying to meet other people's needs. You're going to have to look to their interests more than you look to your own interests. Now, this has got to be the Apostle Paul's version of going the second mile. This is going above and beyond anything anyone would think to do in order to find a way to recognize and maintain this, this connection that we have that Jesus has given everything to give us. Now, I, I want to quickly make sure we've got all this in our minds, right? So let's just build a list real quickly. How do we maintain this unity? Well, aggressively cut out any selfish motivations for what you do. And then ruthlessly eliminate any sense of self-importance that might lead you to mistreat someone else. And always remember that your life is supposed to be about pleasing the God who created you more than pleasing yourself. Develop enough self-control to consistently and faithfully look out for other people more than you look out for yourself. Now I know that's a lot to hold on to. I want you to look at that list. I want you to take a moment to soak it in. This, this is what Paul says we're going to have to do if we're really going to hold on to one another the way Jesus wants us to hold on to one another. And, and I've got to say, looking at this list, taking it all together, I find it not only to be incredibly challenging, uh, but I find it to be nearly almost impossible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be totally fine if other people around me figured out how to live this way. It's just that, that my heart and my mind, they keep manufacturing excuses and, and explanations for why I don't already live this way in relationship towards other people. My mind and my heart, they keep trying to explain to my soul why I'm not farther along in faithfully displaying this self-giving, self-sacrificing way of Jesus. And yet, the truth is, brothers and sisters, uh, my soul's not buying it. Right? My, my heart and my mind may be trying to convince me of it, but 
But deep down, in the places where I understand who I really am, I'm not buying it. Because I know that with as much progress as I have made in my discipleship journey, with as much progress as I have made in, in my life trying to follow Jesus, I have also, I've also found all kinds of reasons to stay right where I am. To look at the progress I've made, which is some, but not nearly enough, and say, okay, I, I'm going to rest right here. Which means that I've, I've grown up, some spiritually speaking, but I've, I've settled far too often in my life. I have honestly cut myself the, the wrong kind of slack. At times I have tried, I, I have spent more effort and energy attempting to, to justify my selfish motivations and my actions more than I've tried to throw that effort and that energy into being transformed and changed to go on that journey with Jesus to become more and more like him in every aspect of my life. I wonder if anybody listening this morning can relate. You know, I have this deep, powerful longing to be more like Jesus. I really do. And yet I, I struggle so often to actually put in the work it's going to take. You know, the, the tedious, incremental gradual, everyday discipleship work that I know it demands and it deserves. Now, I've said this before, but I feel like I want to be really clear about this again. Christian discipleship is not about working hard enough to earn our way into heaven. And that's not what I mean here. I'm saying that Christian discipleship is about working hard enough to experience all the ways we can join Jesus in bringing heaven to earth. Look, the Apostle Paul, he knows exactly how hard this is, how challenging this is. He, he knows how much perseverance this takes for, for you and I to faithfully keep our commitment to trying to live lives where we put others, their needs, their interests above our own. He knows it, not theoretically, he knows it personally because it's the same struggle he's waging every single day with himself. It's the same battle that he's fighting every day as his heart and his mind probably try to convince his soul that you know what, you've already changed enough. You've already made enough progress. And Paul says, no, no, I'm thankful for the grace and the goodness that's brought me this far. And I'm thankful that I've been able to, to partner with God's Holy Spirit in my life to bring about this much transformation. But no, I'm not there yet. And that's why he shares these, these practical steps that the, the first lines there of chapter two of Philippians. But then it's almost like he looks at these practical steps that he's written. He, he looks at you know, these tips, this advice that he's wanting to share. And then he realizes, you know, sometimes it's not just a matter of not knowing how to. It's a matter of, of needing to be reminded of why you want to. You know, I think all of us have times in our lives and relationships where we do the right thing out of a sense of duty. We, we do the right thing out of a sense of obligation, and yet Paul wants us as followers of Christ to come back to this place in our heart where we know the reality is we're not doing this out of obligation. We're doing this out of devotion. We're not doing this as some kind of spiritual chore. We're doing this as, as a calling. And so he, he shifts beyond just giving us practical advice and steps to, 
to reminding us of, of why we're doing all this, why he's doing all this. He, he shares the true source of his inspiration and he hopes that it's our source of inspiration. He shares this story of love that he has fallen in love with. In other words, brothers and sisters, Paul, Paul gives us these practical steps and then he tells us the story of Jesus. And, and as he shares the story of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, he shares it in a very specific way. He doesn't just share it as, as some kind of, you know, lecture or, or theological argument. No, no, no. He shares it through a song. He shares it through a hymn. Just about every biblical scholar, if, if you get commentaries and, and you, you listen to podcasts and you do the research you've got to do to understand Philippians as well as you possibly can, you're going to find that everybody has come to the place where they're convinced that Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, it's not just Paul writing, it's actually Paul quoting from a song. And, and all the scholars I can find say it's probably not just some random song, but it's a song that this church knows and it's a song that they probably love to sing together at church. And so it's, it's my guess that as, as they get to this place in his letter to them, this, this little church in Philippi, they, they get to this place where he starts to, to speak the lyrics of this song, this hymn, and, and my guess is they're quoting it along with him. I'm guessing there were some people in church that were actually humming the tune. Now, we don't know what kind of tune, that, that, what kind of melody they, they sang the song to, but, but they had to sing it somehow together. And my guess is that, that they were caught up in this moment where Paul's not so much teaching them something brand new, but he's calling back to something that they know and they love. It's, it's a song that, that lifts their hearts and captivates their imagination. He calls them back to that place to sing it together. To say these words together. And that's what I actually want us to do together now. We, we were blessed to hear uh, various voices from our church family say the, the words to this song at the very, very beginning of the sermon. But I want us to read it together now. And I'm going to read verse 5, but I would like it if you feel comfortable for you to join me starting in verse chapter 6. In your relationships with one another... Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's, it's one thing to listen to someone read scripture it's, it's a blessing. We were blessed in that way together at the very beginning of, of our sermon time this morning. But it's another thing. It, it reaches us, I think, on an even deeper level when we say those words together as a family of faith. When we, 
when we don't just hear someone else's voice saying it, but I hear my voice saying these words. And I think that's what Paul wants us to experience. I think he wants us to wrestle with the fact that here you are saying these words. Do you believe them? You know, I think all of us who, who've been at church for any length of time, we, we come to the place where we have favorite songs. And we can get to the place where we're singing those songs and we really enjoy them, but we're not actually listening to the words we're singing together. And I think Paul's trying to, to call them back to a place of wrestling with, okay, you guys love this song, you sing this song, do you mean it? Do you mean it? You know, in some ways, this is just an amazingly simple version of Jesus's life story. I mean, it's only six verses long. Uh, the words are, are basic. The, the vocabulary is easy to understand. I mean, if you're somebody who, who really is looking for a, a new passage to memorize from Scripture, this is one of those passages that's pretty easy to commit to memory. So much about this song comes across as simple and easy. And yet, on, on the other hand, in other ways, we have to admit that this version of Jesus' life story, it's, it's not entirely easy. I mean, it, it hits on themes from Jesus' life that if you and I are really serious about trying to be more and more like him in every way we can, well, this song, it contains content, right? It tells parts of Jesus' life story that we would probably rather be able say, you know what, I, can, can I fast forward through that part? Can, can, can we look at a different chapter? Can we look at a different scene? And Paul says, no, I want you to focus here. So let's look at the actions together that, that Paul wants to highlight as he quotes this song, right? The actions that Jesus took while he was living on the earth, and they're the same actions that you and I need to take if we're going to be like him. He refused to use his position of power to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He took on the role of being an everyday servant. He embraced his humanity with all of its limitations. And after all that, he humbled himself even further. And then after all that, Paul says he gave his life away to save others. And Paul wants to double underline, he didn't just die. He didn't just give his life away, but he was crucified. He died on a cross. Now, brothers and sisters, what Paul wants us to hear in this song about the shape of Jesus' earthly life is that this is the true story of what Jesus did with his one human life. This is the shape of the story that, that Paul wants to not only learn, but to live. And in the same way, he wants us to move past learning this story to living it ourselves more faithfully every day. And if we're honest, I'm pretty sure that this is the exact opposite of the shape that most of us would, would choose for our life stories to take. Because our world tells us a hundred times every single day that you know what makes life worth living? It's a life that I live for me, my life for me, your, your life for you. I can do what I want, you do what, what you want. As long as we don't bother one another, that's, that's, that's just fine. And, and then on top of that, it's that I'm gonna try to use my life that's about me. You're gonna use your life that's about you. We're gonna use our lives that are about us and we're, we're gonna find our way, we're gonna fight our way if we have to, to the top. We want the best. We wanna experience the best. We wanna be the best. And we want everybody to know it. But Jesus 
in this song, in his life, the, the song that he sings with his life, he, he shows us a completely different way of life. Jesus shows us a completely different shape of life that, that our lives are going to have to take if we want our lives to really and truly matter. And the truth is, Jesus' way of life is not at all about upward mobility. Jesus' way of life is all about downward mobility. Jesus isn't trying to get to the top. He's stooping. He's kneeling. He's picking up a basin and a towel. He's serving. He's emptying himself. He's, he's finding a way to do whatever it takes to lift others up. And you know, I, I think we have to admit that, that that pushes back so strongly against the ways of our world, right? I, I mean, as you think about the the thoughts that, that our world shares with us about what we should be focused on and what really matters. It's not like we've been shaped by our culture to wake up every day and figure out how we can be less impressive, how, how we can be honored less, how we can be catered to less. I mean, that, that feels, if you wake up in the morning trying to do it, it feels completely upside down and backwards. But Paul's trying to say, no, 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 no. The way of the world is upside down and backwards. That's why it feels so counterintuitive. It's why, it's why you don't really have this sense that it's who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live. What Paul wants us to actually really hold on to is the truth that if this way of life feels so unnatural to us, if it feels backwards and upside down, it's because we're the ones who are confused. We're the ones who don't actually know what really matters. Christian author Henry Nouwen taps into this when he, when he writes, the Holy Spirit leads us on the downward way, not to cause us to suffer or to subject us to pain and humiliation, but rather to help us to see God present in the midst of our struggles. When we find ourselves able to continue to serve our fellow human beings, even when our lives remain the same, right? In other words, even when uh, we're not recognized for it, even when it doesn't get us what we want. He goes on, even when few people offer us praise, even when we have little or no power, we come to know ourselves as God knows us, as sons and daughters hidden in God's love. We do not belong to the world. We belong to God. And I love that, that quote. I love that last line. We don't belong to the world. We belong to God. What now is trying to help us see is that true life real life, the authentic, abundant life, which is just another way of saying that the truly good life that God wants us to have more than anything else, it has this distinct downward trajectory to it. And, and if that feels disappointing to you, if it feels discouraging to me, Paul would, would say to us, you just, you've lost your way. You're focusing on the things that the world tells you really matters and you've, you've lost your way. You've lost your sense of spiritual direction. Down is up and up is down and you're confused about it. And he has too much compassion to leave us confused. So he says, look, I know that we like to re-edit Jesus' story and we turn it into some, some story that's about Jesus experiencing win after win and victory after victory, but Paul says, no, that's, 
That's not at all the shape of Jesus's life story. And if we're serious about letting Jesus's life become our way of life, we have to reorient our spiritual sense of direction again. We have to find our way back to that pathway again. Jesus has shown us this, this spiritual pathway to true life. And it, it, I know it's unexpected. I know we struggle to make sense of it. But we have, to, we have to wrestle with the fact that, that if something from Scripture, if something from Jesus' life, if it flies in direct opposition to the wisdom of the world, we're the ones who have to change. Jesus isn't going to change his way of life. Jesus isn't going to change how he calls us to follow. We're going to have to change. So the question is, when Jesus shows us what really matters, what makes a difference, what what will empower us to have lives of meaning and purpose? Are we going to trust that he knows what he's talking about? Or are we going to keep trusting in ourselves? You know, it's challenging because if you're not careful, you can actually kind of re-edit Jesus' story right here in this passage, right here in the lyrics to this song that, that Paul's quoting from. If you just kind of forget the first couple of verses and you start focusing on verse 9, where it says, Therefore God highly exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on heaven and earth. And You read all of that together and your heart is suddenly drawn to, oh, okay, this, this is the part of the story I like. And we don't just like it because it's good news for Jesus that he's experiencing this after everything he's gone through. I think, if we're honest, we really like it because it's a part of the story of Jesus' story that we really want to experience ourselves. We like to imagine ourselves being right there next to Jesus in that special place of, of honor and power and exaltation. But here's the thing. None of that has anything to do with Jesus' behavior. None of that has anything to do with what Jesus has to focus on when it comes to what's he going to do with the one human life that he's been given. How's he going to spend it? How's he going to invest it? Well, we already read that list together. He humbles himself. He empties himself. He takes on the form of a servant. He gives his life away for the sake of others. And then God responds. Then God exalts him. Then God puts him in this place that is is full of, of power. Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You cannot skip, as, as a follower of Christ, you and I, we cannot skip the first part of this song. And it's actually the only part of the song, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, the only thing that we can control is our behavior, our sense of, are we really going to be the kinds of people who live in a completely different way than the way of the world? Are we going to empty ourselves? Are we going to humble ourselves? Are we going to give our lives away for the sake of other people? And then like Jesus, are we going to then have the courage to wait, to be patient, to see what God does in response? You know, what, what God does for Jesus, what God is promising he will do for us, it's, it's something that only God can do, first of all. We can't make it happen. And secondly, it's something that God only does after Jesus has faithfully given his life away for the sake of others. And the same will be true for us. This place of eternal honor, it only comes after a life of, of selfless suffering, it's the sacred honor of heaven that, that only comes after we willingly embrace an earthly life of spending our time in selfless service to others. It comes after. And you know, I, 
I'm getting ready with my family for us to go on a little bit of a, a road trip together in the next week. And what always happens when we all get in a car together is it doesn't take very long. It doesn't matter how long the trip is. But before we're really even close to getting there, someone in the car is going to ask, are we there yet? And I think sometimes in our spiritual lives, we just want to, we want to skip over the difficulty of discipleship and we want to get to the good part, the part that, that we're excited about, the part that we're most looking forward to. And, and I think we as, as adult disciples, as people who've maybe been doing this for 30 or 40 or 50 years, it doesn't matter how long you've been a disciple, all of us are tempted to ask God, are we there yet? Is it time yet? Is that future that I'm looking forward to, is it, is it something that I get to experience right here and now? And Jesus models for us service and patience. If we wanna be like Christ, we're gonna have to find a way to persevere in serving and waiting and trusting that while we can't make the future happen exactly the way we want it to, God has promised God has promised to give us the future that only grace makes possible. And it comes on the other side of selfless service. I came across a story this week that I'd like to share with you now. It's a beautiful, inspiring story that reminds, it reminds me of the profound goodness that we can partner with God in making happen in our world when we freely humble ourselves so that we can help someone else. So let's watch that story together now. Wife and her dream job. Mary and Steve Daniel are from Jacksonville, Florida, and they've been married 24 years. Steve has Alzheimer's, and the two have been separated since this pandemic began. Mary visiting Steve's window at the Rose Castle at Deerwood Assisted Living Facility since March. I'm gonna come give you a hug real soon. And Mary was determined to keep that promise of a hug in person. How? She applied for a job as a dishwasher there to get inside. And tonight, right here, Mary with the news. Hey David, it's Mary Daniel here. Thrilled to be able to tell you about my new dream job. Mary is washing dishes. I haven't seen him in 114 days. So it is an absolute honor to be there. Today, Mary walking into work. Her temperature checked before heading into the kitchen. And then afterward, Mary walking into her husband's room. Hello. A hug and a kiss. Mary's head on her husband's shoulder. Tonight, Mary and her message. Don't give up. There is hope. Things will get better. Don't give up. Washing dishes to hug her husband. Good night. What, what is able to turn dishwashing into a dream job? Only love. Only Christ-like self-giving, self-sacrificing love. The, the only thing that could turn something as, as simple and basic as dishwashing into a dream job is, is a love that would go anywhere, do anything just to be there with someone, to be there for someone. This is the shape of the life story that Jesus has modeled for us. It's the shape of the life story that Paul says, we don't just want to sing about. We don't, we don't want to just read about it. We don't want to just learn about it, but we want to actively live it. You want a, a future worth having? 
You want to be able to experience the indestructible joy that, that can come even in the midst of an anxious world? Well, Paul, Paul tells us how to have that kind of joy. It's by embracing the unexpected downward way of Jesus. And I know every piece of our hearts and our minds and our souls that's still captivated by the, captivated by the wisdom of this world, I know that it leads us to think that the only way we can have a life worth living is if we look out for ourselves and we try to fight our way to the top. But Jesus says, no, trust me, embrace this other way. Do we trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Do we trust that Jesus knows what he was living about, what he was living for, who he was living for? We have got to find the courage We've got to find the strength to embrace that unexpected downward way of Jesus because brothers and sisters, it is the only way we're going to get to where we're really meant to be. We're going to sing together now about Jesus, about who he is to us, about who he calls us to be. And my prayer is that as we sing this song, we commit that it's not just going to be a song. It's going to give shape to our life. Dan? Dan?